Thanks, Mark. So I found out this week that writing a sermon post-Thanksgiving and pre-Advent and Christmas was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. See, I figure at this point, everyone is kind of tired of being thankful for all that stuff, and everyone is really ready to start buying gifts and decorating their home and getting out their tree. Uh, do I get, did I get that right, maybe, a little bit? Yes, good. Look, I know I'm preaching in the choir. Jessica, my wife, put our tree up like weeks ago, so I know our home is ready. Uh, so I asked myself, on this Sunday, this in-between Sunday, uh, what am I to do? Now, if you aren't aware, uh, when you're struggling to figure out what to say, whether it be in a sermon or a devotional or a Bible study, uh, a church office and a church staff is a lot like a Holy Spirit gumball machine. Uh, I was in the office earlier this week just grumbling about how I didn't know what to say and I just can't make up my mind. And then all of a sudden someone said, well, we're in this in-between week. Why don't you just preach on transition? Why don't you preach on change? We're in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're about to leave 2018 behind and go into 2019. Why don't you just talk about that? And that's exactly what we're going to do. You see, as Christians, it ties in in a couple of ways. Uh, we describe and we believe that we are living in those in-between times, in the kingdom of God. So what that means is we believe we're here in the middle. Uh, we believe that Jesus Christ has already come and walked among us and lived an earthly life. Uh, he has ascended and He is back in heaven. And here we are. And then sometime in the future, Christ will come again. And that is what we wait for, and that is what we hope for. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage that gives us hope, a passage that gives us assurance that Christ will come again and that one day we will be with Him. But until then, we have to endure a lot of change in our lives, a lot of transitions, and a lot of getting ready, and that looks different for each and every one of us. So today we're going to be talking about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So I invite you now, if you've got your Bibles, to flip over into the 14th chapter of John. It's also on your teaching notes in your bulletin this week or on your phone, and I invite you to follow along with me. And once again, this is the 14th chapter of John, and I'm going to start in verse 1. So it says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know, him, if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. My friends, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
So this conversation that we just read takes place the last night before Jesus' crucifixion, uh, during the Passover meal. And before this, before this took place, Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. He had predicted his betrayal by one of his own disciples, Judas. He had predicted his denial by Peter, and he told the disciples that he would soon be going away. That was in John 13. And so all of these things, all of these actions, they were a bit unique. Uh, So they prompted questions from the disciples, specifically Thomas, about where Jesus was actually going and why they couldn't follow him right now. So by using this phrase, the phrase we're talking about all day, Jesus is establishing that knowing him is not only the ultimate meaning and fulfillment of our lives here on earth right now, but the only way to really know our Father in heaven. Would you like to know something that every human has in common? That was so much better than the 8 o'clock. And I also told the balcony to be loud up there, and I didn't really hear him. So let's try that again. Congregational involvement. Here we go. Would you like to know something every human has in common? Outstanding. Here it is. We all want to be in control of our lives. We all want to know what's next. We all want to say in what happens to us and when it happens. And we all want to ensure that there are no bad surprises along the way. Would you like to know something else that everyone has in common? Yes! That's so fun. Here's the second one. We all don't like change. Because what change means is taking things we love and hold dearly to and having to let go. Sometimes it might mean losing relationships. It can mean losing control. It means we might have to do things differently than we've done them before. It means we sometimes take risks. It can even lead us towards a third thing none of us like, and that's failure. Change is hard. Transitions are hard. But when we take a step back and we really evaluate our lives, the lives of the people throughout history and our scripture, uh, past, present, and future, we recognize that our lives are filled with nothing but change and nothing but transition, whether that's a new role, a new title, a new job, a new hobby, you name it. Our lives are full of change. And so in this one passage, Jesus addresses our very human instinct to want to know where we're going before we even start a journey. You see, the disciples wanted to know the next step, the next turn, the ultimate destination of where their faith in Him would lead them. You see, we do the same thing. A lot of us have just returned from traveling for Thanksgiving or we're preparing a trip to go visit someone on the holidays. And what do we do before we go? We either plug it into the GPS or online or maybe we get out a map and we figure out how long it's going to take, what are the best roads to get there. We want to determine the best, the fastest, and the safest route for all of our journeys. That's just our instinct. And Thomas wanted to know the same thing about his journey of faith. But however, Jesus being Jesus makes it clear that he or they or even we 
won't always know the defined path that we're supposed to travel in life. We are instead tasked with simply knowing and trusting in Jesus daily and walking in the faith and believing that He is the way. When we abide in Him, we will not always know the defined course, but we can rest comfortably in our faith. And our faith says that He will lead us exactly where we're supposed to be when we walk with Him, when we trust in Him. And something that I've learned as time has gone on is that oftentimes when we get in trouble or find ourselves in a circumstance that's less than desirable, it's when we thought we knew a shortcut on the path. When we started making our own decisions, when we stopped involving God in the process, and we thought, maybe I can get there a little quicker, or maybe I can get there a little easier without going the way that God has laid before me, I think that's when we maybe get into a little trouble. Or you could think about it this way. Earlier in the book of John in the 10th chapter, uh, we've heard, many of us have heard this before, that Jesus compares Himself to a shepherd and we are His what? His sheep. Now, if you're not totally familiar with how sheep operate, uh, allow me that unique privilege. As a Christian, you learn so many absurd facts about sheep, uh, so let me share one with you. Sheep don't choose... Did somebody just ba? Bob, we already gave you a solo, man. Take it easy. <laughs> At least it was a bod, not a boo, I suppose. So, <laughs> All right, so here it is. The sheep don't choose their own path or their, for safety or protection, but rather they rely on their shepherd to guard them and to care for them and guide them. It's the same with us. In order for us to be safe, we have to rely on our shepherd, Jesus Christ, and not wander off on our own adventures and try to find our own way. That's what gets us into trouble. That's what leads us to danger and pain. But when we follow Jesus, He leads us to exactly where we need to be. He leads us through and walks alongside us in every change and every transition, the ones we want and the ones we don't. And finally, in this first line of this passage, Jesus is making it clear that He is the only way to God, and by extension, He is the only way to heaven. Jesus told us that He is going to prepare a place for us. Hallelujah! And He suggests that after we have completed the journey of this life, when we have run the race, we will find ourselves in a place of rest and eternity with our Creator. That's what we're hoping for, that's what we're waiting for, and that's what this passage assures us of. We believe that Jesus is the way to God, that Jesus is the way to heaven, and Jesus is the way to living the lives God wants each of us to live. So then Jesus takes it a step further, and Jesus tells us that He is the truth. And I understand now this part can be uh, confusing. It's definitely the most confusing of the three. Because we can ask, well, what does it mean that Jesus is the truth? What is the truth? Or how can we know what the truth is? We, mo we make jokes about the truth or quote a few good men and say, you can't handle the truth like that. But Jesus tells us that we can. And he explains it in this way. Jesus can testify to the truth and teach the truth because He Himself 
is that truth. In him there is nothing false. There is nothing misleading, nothing fake, or nothing uncertain. Or you can think about it this way. How many of you have ever played that game, Two Truths and a Lie? You know what I'm talking about, where you uh, say two truths as an icebreaker game to a group, and then you make up a lie about yourself, and the group has to identify what the lie is? I'm seeing no head nods. This is an empty joke. I'm sorry. Well, Jesus could never play that game because Jesus could not lie. Jesus, everything he said was the truth and represented it. Uh, We believe that Jesus was the fullest extent of the truth, and then he shared that with each and every one of us. And that's what we believe, and that's what we base so many of the systems and beliefs in our lives on, that what Jesus tells us is the truth. So let me now tie this back into the beginning of the sermon when we were talking about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God, as we said, is that in-between times, but it spans the full length of time, from the very beginning with creation, when there was nothing, to right now where we all are and living and present, uh, to that future time, that unknown time when Christ will come again. That's what the kingdom of God is, and we're living in that in-between time, trusting in Jesus that He is the way, that He will get us to where we need to be. And in that kingdom of God, uh, it's, it's explained like we are just a drop in an ocean, the ocean of eternity. Or as the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, says, I'm nothing more than a mist here for a short time and then gone. So when we think about the kingdom of God and the realities of the world, uh, it's no wonder that we don't know everything because we take up just a small portion of time in history. It's why we can't explain why sometimes awful things happen to good people, while circumstances somehow fall into our lives that we didn't expect or want. It's so frustrating and it's so hard, but we just can't understand it or even fully explain it because... We're in the in-between times, and the kingdom of God is forever. We can also understand it and believe it because in the first verse of this gospel of John, uh, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, in this one sentence, John is proclaiming Jesus as the Word which suggests that from the beginning of time, all of this and everything that has happened, Jesus' life is the culmination leading throughout eternity that we can experience truth. So now that we know that Jesus is the truth and we can believe that He's the way, uh, let me share with you something that I recently heard, uh, and I believe it is such a profound truth. Jesus doesn't explicitly say this in the Bible Uh, But I've been so fortunate to read Jesus' words and study them. I think this is a good summary of what one of the truths of Jesus Christ would be. And I get this from an attorney by the name of Brian Stevenson. Uh, He wrote a book called Just Mercy, and uh, he is an attorney that works with folks that have been convicted and are on death row, uh, working with folks in the worst of worst circumstances. And he said this, You are more than the worst thing you have ever done. You are more than the worst thing you, are, you have ever done. He continues and he says, just because you told a lie doesn't mean you're a liar for life. Uh, 
He said, just because you stole something doesn't mean you're a thief for life. He says, just because you hurt someone with your words, it doesn't make you a slanderer or a gossiper for life. And then he said something most profound. He said, our humanity depends on everyone's humanity. You see, each of us is made in the image of God, and we all have sacred worth, and we are all people who have dignity. And that is a gift from God, and it will always be from God. See, you are not defined in the eyes of God by something you said or did in this life. You are more than the worst mistake that you have ever made. And I believe that to be true because we worship a God of forgiveness, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. In this passage today and all throughout the gospel, Jesus calls us his sheep and tells us that he loves us. And all throughout scripture, God the creator calls us his beloved children. What is the ultimate truth of Jesus Christ? That he loves us and that we are more than the worst thing we have ever done. Jesus is the truth for each of us, and everything he tells us is the truth. And so the last part of this passage is that Jesus is the life. Uh, This saying also draws us back to that shepherd analogy from John 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. So here Jesus is not only painting a picture of how he defends and leads his sheep, which is us, but he's also foreshadowing his death on the cross and what he will do for us for eternity. But if this is true and we believe that, then the question comes up again, well, why do Christians still struggle? Why are there still hardships and pain? Why do we have to endure the things we endure against our own will? I think the answer to that question, even though it might not be the most popular one, is this. It's because this life is not the point. This life is not our ultimate goal, and it doesn't encompass the entirety of who we are. Like we said earlier, this life is not but a mere drop in the ocean of eternity, and it's the starting block for the marathon that is eternal life. And see, we can do our best to slow life down. We can spend our money and our time and our energy working to fight against it, but we can't stop it from ultimately marching forward. Whatever gets in our way, whatever comes in our path, life keeps moving on. And what Jesus is teaching us in this part of the passage is that we're not to be so concerned with the things of this life, but very concerned with the things of eternal life. The Scriptures continually speak about what is to come and what this next life will bring if we keep our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ. So we have to live our lives where we're not chasing the things of this world that are only temporary, but we chase the things that lead us to life eternal and that have eternal value. We do things for others. We think and do things for others than ourselves. 
And so I heard a story about that this week. I was listening to the Joy FM. It's a Christian radio station. It's 88.1 down here, if you're looking for an uplifting and joy-filled radio station. Uh, And they shared a story about a garbage truck driver out in California by the name of Ray Dane Cummings. Uh, And so he was a garbage man, and he rescued uh, a person who really needed rescuing. Uh, Take a look at this video. We're live along the Skyway here in Paradise. These are scenes that we've been showing you over the past couple of days, the destruction here. And we're just down the road from Megalia. Some parts of Megalia did take a hit from the campfire. Others managed to come out okay. And as you just mentioned, we just talked with a woman earlier today who escaped before the fire approached Megalia, thanks to a good friend. friend. Dane Ray Cummings and Margaret Newsom share a bond. One built around a service we all rely on. I've been a garbage man for eight years. It's what led Dane to Margaret Thursday morning as the campfire quickly exploded in size, pushing towards Megalia. Well, Thursday morning, I was, I was working as normal, and I, I see above the, above the trees, I'm starting to get some smoke. At the same time, Margaret was going through her morning routine. I got up as usual, went and had some oatmeal as usual, and I turned the TV on, and then they said that there was a fire going into paradise. Her caregiver had already left for the day, leaving the 93-year-old at home alone with her cats. In his new garbage truck, Dane continued dumping cans against the wishes of his route manager until he ended up in Margaret's neck of the woods. I've been up there eight years and I just picked the people that I knew were older and I tried to stop and help them and let them know that they were coming and make sure they're getting out. So I went out and was standing on the front porch when this great big green monster drove up. It was Dane. He said, get in the house, get your things together quick, and we'll get out of here. I unlocked and I had them people hold her there. And I... Recovering from a broken back, a group of people loaded Margaret into the truck. They lifted her and we lifted her and we just scooted her on the seat. and put the seatbelt on her and made sure she was up there far enough so she wouldn't fall out either side and that was it, we're on the road. That drive, a five hour trek down the hill to safety where Margaret shared her life story, including her time as a backup singer. The Rat Pack, wonderful, wonderful men. And when she witnessed the attack on Pearl Harbor. A Japanese plane came over, he was so low that I could see the pilot. She made quite an impression on Dane. I wish I'd known her when she was younger. I'd have married her, you know what I mean? It was the best conversation I've had in the truck ever. The fire ripped through Butte County, but it never reached Margaret's home. It did, however, solidify a now unbreakable bond. See, to me, that story about Ray Dane Cummings rescuing a 93-year-old woman from the fire in California is a perfect example about what living your life for more than yourself looks like. To me, Mr. Cummings, yeah, we can clap for that. See, to me, Mr. Cummings is an example of what an everyday hero is, and one of those things I think we can all agree upon again is that we need a few more million of those on the earth. Imagine what it would look like if we did something like that and we took the time to actually get to know people that we might typically overlook. I mean, a story about being a backup singer for the Rat Pack and being on Pearl Harbor and seeing the plane go over. I mean, the stories, 93 years old, imagine the changes she's seen in our country and in our world in her lifetime and the wisdom she has to share. By just simply taking time, a new relationship was built. 
So my question for, di- for all of us today is this. As we transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas, from 2018 to 2019, who are you living your life for? Transition and change is inevitable, so why wait to make a change you need to make in your life today? You see, after all, we're getting ready for this manger story, and it's a story about God sending His only Son to earth. It's a story about God sending His Son to live amongst us as a defenseless and helpless infant. It's a story about a Savior who came with a purpose to give His life so that we can live and keep ours. Jesus came all those years ago to give His life so that we can be forgiven and keep ours. So I ask you, who are you living your life for? Are you, are you living it for God, fully for God? Are you living it for your family? Are you living it for your job or a hobby? Are you living it for money? Are you living it for momentary pleasures and the desires of the flesh? Are, are you living it just for yourself? Are you living your life for your sin? What change, what transition do you need to go through so you can start living your life the way you know God wants you to live it? See, when Jesus refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life, he's giving us a better way to live our lives than we can imagine. He's showing us that when we put our faith daily in him, it will lead us to a better and richer and more meaningful life than we could ever work towards on our own. Life is full of changes, and sometimes awful things are going to happen, and it's beyond our control. But we can be assured that Jesus is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life for each and every one of us. And after all, a little baby named Jesus, our Savior, came and gave his life for us so that we may live. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this exciting season, a season to give gratitude and a season of eager expectedness as we wait for the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, in a manger or in the Savior of the world, who then told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He guides our steps, he tells us the truth, and we live by it, and he has prepared a place for us in eternity. God, may that be our heart's desire and our focus on this day and all of our days to come. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.